concerned with hoorah. You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's bad with money with Gabby Dunn. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn, and this is Bad With Money. Oh, the fire movement. Well, let's step right into it. This week, we're going to be talking to Tanya Hester, author of Work Optional, Retire Early, The Non-Penny-Pinching Way. And she is a fire movement expert who the New York Times called the fire movement for women's matriarch. And if you're anywhere near the financial space, and kind of even if you aren't, you cannot help but hear a lot about fire. F-I-R-E. It stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. According to Investopedia, FIRE is a movement of people devoted to a program of extreme savings and investment that aims to allow them to retire far earlier than traditional budgets and retirement plans would permit. The people who are into it are extremely into it. Criticizing it at all is inviting discourse and people saying that those who are critical just don't get it or don't want it enough. There's kind of this air of superiority, which I don't think anyone from FIRE would deny. I think they'd probably argue it's a positive, a superpower. At least from everything I've read online from FIRE participants and every FIRE participant I've ever spoken to. In 2020, according to a Vox article called Inside FIRE, The Implausible Millennial Movement to Save, Invest, and Quit the American Workplace, a popular FIRE blog called Mr. Money Mustache reported 30 million unique visitors since 2011, even though it's hard to track how many people are actually participating in the movement. But at least 30 million people have been interested in FIRE over the last 10 years. For more detailed info about the movement, you should really actually just read this entire article. I'll link to it in the description. It's a fantastic overview of the whole thing. One thing we're going to learn about today on this show is that there are obviously different methods of fire. And financial gurus are split, or they have their own versions of fire. Some brand themselves as completely against it, and some say it is the only way, in a culty sort of vibe. As of September 2021, Dave Ramsey, who I usually think is kind of garbage, is skeptical of fire, but still takes the time to explain it on his website, so he does think it's important. And according to MarketWatch in 2019, Susie Orman said she just can't wrap her brain around the concept of fire. But then again, Mr. Money Mustache has got those 30 million unique visitors, so... There's a lot of rules to fire, like the 4% rule when it comes to the first year of spending post quote-unquote retirement, and a lot of articles where people initially retired and then had to go back to work because they overspent or fire wasn't sustainable... Like, it really is truly one of the most contested, most popular, most hot-button issues in the money, media, and advice world. Like, fire starts conversations. So how does one manage to save 70% of their income if you live in a city or have unexpected expenses? Some of the fire devotees I see on Reddit, where I tend to hang out for their money subreddits, deprive themselves of every luxury and some necessities, honestly, in order to meet their goals in 10 or 5 years, depending on how many years they want to set it up for. Many of them actually do meet their goals. But our second guest this week, Michelle Jackson of the Michelle is Money Hungry podcast, wrote a really interesting Business Insider piece about her preference for something called Slow Fire, 
a more realistic version of the movement that applies to people without large incomes and starter money. A big part of FIRE is you kind of have to start out with a job with a huge income. Or starter money, which comes up often on this show, right? It's like, how did this happen? How did this happen? Oh, someone gave you $20,000. Michelle is a black woman in the FIRE world, which she talks about freely as being very rare, and we do get into that. I wanted to have two women on to talk about this money movement because it's often labeled as just for finance bros. And I wanted to find out if there's a way to do this that isn't unavailable for anyone but one specific type of person. What if you take care of family? What if you're single? What if you're not white? What if there's another pandemic? I don't want to speak that into the world, but what if? (laughs) We didn't know about the first one. So our first guest this week is Tanya Hester, and she talks about the problems of passive income being largely unethical. A lot of the ways that people maintain fire is by becoming a landlord or kind of irresponsibly banking. The ways people actually achieve fire and why it is such a big deal in our world. Hey there, I'm Tanya Hester, and I'm the author of the book Wallet Activism, How to Use Every Dollar You Spend, Earn, and Save as a Force for Change, and my first book, Work Optional, which came out a couple of years ago. Um, I used to be a political consultant and a journalist, and then I retired early a handful of years ago, uh, really to try to get ahead of a genetic disability that I watched my dad be forced to quit over, and I knew it was coming for me, and it has come, so I'm glad I'm not trying to make work happen through all that. But of course, I still have passion projects. And so I've had the opportunity to write a couple books and I love talking about them. Wow. Okay. So first of all, what does work optional mean? Work optional, I think is a much more inclusive term than something like early retirement or the fire movement or any of those very bro-y terms. Mm -hmm. To me, work optional means that you put yourself in a position that you can make mandatory work a smaller part of your life. Um, For me, I still do things that look like work, but I don't have to worry about how much I will earn from them, which is really an incredible privilege. And for others, it might mean being able to take a year off, taking what I call a career intermission, or being able to scale your hours back and work part-time once you fill up your full retirement savings for your later years. So it really can take a lot of different forms. But I think Going for a work optional life is much more achievable to a much broader swath of people than something like, you know, full retirement at 35 or whatever it might be. (laughs) What is FIRE? I'm going to give you the honest answer that I feel in my heart. You know, technically, FIRE is financial independence, retire early. But Uh I think the truth is that it's a whole bunch of rich tech dudes who are overpaid and are saving at a high rate so that they can, you know, quit their jobs and be really bored all the time. I don't think Ooh, that the way most people... Spicy. <laughs> just Spicy takes. I don't think the way most people talk about it is as well thought out as it should be for such a huge life choice, you know? Mm, it, what do you mean? What do you mean? Because fire started and it was like, obviously it's got a catchy name and it's like, you know, this big thing. And I think it's spread like beyond the tech bros in some way. Although I have, uh, this is just my spicy take is that I've never read about someone who's achieved fire who wasn't at least like 15% annoying. So <laughs> like... <laughs> So like what what is the what is like the thing now like caught on then it had backlash you know i think it's really fractured i i recently wrote a post on my blog our next life about 
how I think it's time to split it up because I think that there's the segment of it that's more the tech bro side that is very happy getting ahead under capitalism at the expense of other people. They mm-hmm. are very happy or seem to be doing not much, honestly, after they quit. You know, I, I think a lot of them are unhappy but don't want to say so because they've kind of pinned their identity on quitting their job. Um, mm. And then there's the other side of it that's those of us who care about the planet and care about other people and want to actually do something. And it's why, honestly, I don't really love talking that much about fire anymore because to me it was a means to an end. It was like, I know I have this huge mobility challenge coming. I'm going to be facing chronic pain forever. I want to be able to do some stuff before I'm like stuck on the couch. And so once I got there, then it was like, okay, it was cool to share the journey. But now let's talk about stuff that actually matters, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm all for the liberation of workers who are underpaid and undervalued by corporate America, um, corporate Western society. And I'm very happy to fight for that. But, you know, for me, it was sort of like, okay, well, we got there. So can we stop talking about it now and talk about how we really try to address the climate crisis and address inequality and social injustices? Um, And I think that there's a big chunk of the community that wants that. And so to me, I just think, like, why pretend like we're all in the same club and after the same thing? Because I don't think we are. Why are people so nervous about retirement? Like that word I feel like makes people so nervous. I think there are a lot of reasons. I think if you go back, you know, five, six, ten years, there's definitely been a feeling of, okay, look at even young Gen X, but even some older Gen X, but certainly millennials, the Gen Zs who are in the workforce now, there's a feeling like there's no safety net for me if I can't earn enough to save or I can't get a big enough social security check, which every few years we get a headline like the recent one that social security mm-hmm. is 15 years away from the brink of death. Um, we've we've heard that headline plenty of times before. I right. urge people not to freak out. But there's a feeling that, you know, there's no backstop. And so I think that's been there. And I do think that those of us in fire world who care about others see really the whole thing as not this like hoarding of wealth for wealth's sake, but more providing our own safety net so that we can fight for things that matter. Um, but I think now you've got the at the elevated risk of climate change. We've seen, you know, like right now, we've had the Northeast flooding, flooding in the Gulf. California's on fire. I'm breathing wildfire smoke right now. You know, I yeah. think a lot of folks are like, well, why should I save for retirement if we're not even going to live through the climate crisis? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really valid fear. I, I think I urge people still to save because saving and investing gives you options and flexibility. Right. But I definitely don't blame anybody for having that mindset. Yeah. I mean, what the, I wanted to go over those concerns because I see that a lot with people my age or, or younger being like, what am I going to do? Save for retirement? Like there's no I mean, there's a pandemic. There's no guarantee of anything, like how do you motivate someone to be like, okay, but like what if you're not hit by a bus tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard. Um, the advice I tend to give is really none of us can see the future. Let's hope we all live long lives. But the reality is that everything's going to get more expensive. And so you're going to mm-hmm, need some cushion mm-hmm. to pay for that. Even if we're not talking about retirement, we're just talking about the cost of lunch in 10 or 20 years that will likely get more expensive because we're going to have fuel shortages. We're going to have extended droughts that will drive up the price of food and transportation. I mean, climate change is going to do a lot to mess up our finances. And so if you can give yourself even some cushion 
it really empowers you. And I think that's the important piece to remember is the power you gain by having some money set aside. You know, I'm sure you talk a lot about FU money, uh, the ability to walk away from a toxic job. But like the last thing you want to do is find yourself age 65 or 70 being forced to do a job you hate or that's really bad for you, that's toxic or unhealthy or, you know, physically, mentally unhealthy, whatever it is, um, because you haven't built in a bit of a cushion for yourself. And, you know, even... Mm -hmm. If you can save even a few hundred dollars a year, a thousand dollars a year over the course of your working life, that adds up to something. It's not going to be mm-hmm. a huge amount, but it'll be enough to let you quit a bad job, to mm-hmm. be able to move if you have to, to be able to take care of a loved one if they get sick. And like, don't we all want options? I want options for you. <laughs> yeah, I was just, you know, to be able to afford a little sailboat for when the world floods. <laughs> you're going to need a little rowboat. To... Yeah. It's so bleak. <laughs> It is bleak, but I can speak for myself. You know, I didn't grow up with money. My dad was Mm. disabled, um, you know, fixed income, single parent situation. Um, And so I've come at my finances the way that I'm sure a lot of folks listening have. I'm just a bit further down the road. But thinking about when I got out of credit card and student loan and car debt in my late 20s, the weight that lifted off me, it's one of those things I don't think you can know what it feels like until you've experienced it. And then likewise, once we saved enough that I knew, okay, I could quit my job if things got really stressful and terrible um, and I'd have a little time to figure things out, that lifted more weight off. Then once we got to the point where we said, okay, we couldn't live large by any means, but we could survive without ever working again, that was like a huge weight off. And then we paid off our mortgage and now don't have a house payment. And like knowing that the house is ours Mm -hmm. and that, you know, of course we have to pay property tax and utilities and there are things you still have to do. So it's not free, but knowing that basically no one can prevent me from having a home Mm. is like the best feeling. And so I just want to really encourage folks to look for those intermediate milestones that really give you a sense of power in your life and a sense of peace that I don't think a lot of us experience otherwise because the world is so stressful and so bleak. You were, forgive me if you don't want to speak about this, but you were on the you were on the clock a bit because of a disability, an upcoming disability. What Did you know around when you would have to stop working? And was that like a big motivator? I didn't know exactly. So yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. I have uh, hypermobile, uh, we think, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, and then the things that go with it, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, POTS, and some Mm -hmm. other fun stuff. We actually didn't know that that's what it was for a lot of years because my dad's manifestation of it looks really different. And he has a form that has really disfigured him. So he can still walk and get around and take care of himself. But, you know, he looks, you know, physically uh, different from most people walking around. And so he had to quit working when he was 41. And in that case, it was, I mean, the shittiest story. He was fired from his job the day before the Americans with Disabilities Act (gasps) was set to take effect so that they wouldn't have to accommodate him. And I recently learned, in addition to that, they also fired him because my medical bills had been so high because I also have immunodeficiency and I was sick a lot as a kid. And so when he told me that, I was just like, wait, we were both discriminated against. (laughs) Yeah. Also that they were like, your child is sick. Bye. Good luck. Fortunately, my dad negotiated to get some additional um, long-term disability benefits. and, And so like, he's okay. It worked out. But seeing that happen and then seeing that he was at the mercy of Social Security, you know, he got long-term disability, but someone came to our house every year and tried to prove that he was faking it. Cool. Yeah. Seeing how 
dehumanizing that is. It was very much like, I don't want to face that future. I want to quit on my terms. And also, like I said earlier, I, I want to be able to do some things. I love traveling and people don't realize this, but most of the world does not have wheelchair ramps. Most of the world is not friendly right. to disabled people. Not that the U.S. is perfect, but it's a whole lot better than other countries. I mean, even Japan, which is very modern and thoughtfully designed in many ways, there aren't ramps in like any of the train stations. Weird. And so knowing that it was like, well, we want to be able to do some stuff while I can still walk around without trouble. So yeah, um, I knew that probably like mid 40s was sort of the cutoff point. Now I'm 42. And it's definitely affecting me. It's affecting what I can do. And so I, I feel like Thank goodness we quit when we did, and I've been able to have some good memories in the meantime. And I'm not saying any of this like, oh, poor me. I have a great life. Um, but I think if you know that a health challenge is coming, it's really good to try to get ahead of it so that you can still have as much of the life that you want as you can before it's sort of out of your control. Yeah, we've talked about on this show how disability is the only minority group anyone could join at any time. And so people don't consider that when thinking about money. So – you were talking about ethical retirement. What has that meant to you? And how do people, you know, it's so interesting to hear like all this stuff about brands adding causes. And like, you know, I think there's a lot of podcast ads that are like, if you do this, you will do this for the environment or whatever. So like, is there like an an ethical retirement? And how do you suss that out? Yeah, I, I was so thrilled that I got to write Wallet Activism because to me, there's no point having money, having financial security, if you aren't going to deploy it in some way that reflects your values. And I think mm -hmm. that so much of society is built around tricking us, um, you know, frankly. Mm -hmm. uh, it's absolutely true in financial services. It's true in everything corporate. It's even true in a lot of uh, environmental messaging, you know, that folks are often trying to sell something or they're trying to fundraise or they're doing, you know, there are lies everywhere. And I think that a lot of the time we go through life and we make the choices that we make because we just don't know better. We don't realize we're being lied to. And so I wanted to be able to help people see through that and see mm -hmm. that, you know, like real estate investing, for example, which is something that a lot of folks try to do to fund their retirement. That's just sort of talked about as like, hey, passive income. Woo. I think it's important to look at the fact that most of the people doing that are slumlords who are taking advantage of low income yeah. people who are quick to evict them if they can't pay. It's really unethical. And we need to talk about that, too. It's not to say you can't invest in real estate, but you need to to take a clear-eyed look at the pitfalls. Same with, you know, lots of folks like to travel and stay at Airbnbs. Well, that's cool. It gives you more options, but it also has caused a massive housing shortage in a lot of resort and touristy areas. Like here in Tahoe, we have a massive, massive housing affordability problem because so many right. people have converted properties to short-term rental. But it's also the investing side, the banking side. I mean, honestly, I wish in financial circles we talked more about responsible banking because that is truly the straightest yeah. line between your money and bad stuff happening. Like if, if you invest yeah. in stock, you buy a share, you're probably buying it from another person. You know, they're they're doing whatever. Maybe they're just a retiree. You don't know who they are. They may or may not be doing something bad with it. If you have $1,000 sitting in a savings account with a big bank like Wells Fargo or J.P. Morgan Chase, they're making money by lending that money out to fund fossil fuel projects. And that's directly, that is your money straight line to the bad stuff. And yeah. so switching to a credit union, a community bank, a black-owned bank, there are increasingly more options. Um, but getting out of the big bank world is one of the biggest financial choices you can make. And like, no one talks about that. We need to talk about that. Yeah. I mean, it's like 
there are ways to do things with ethical investing, ethical retirement, all that kind of stuff. It's just they make it so hard. <laughs> they purposefully are like, you want to have a credit union? Well, you don't have any ATMs. <laughs> you want to have, you know, you want to like do ethical IRAs and mutual funds and ETFs? Too bad. It's not going to make as much money. Like it is a fight the whole way to try to do this in a way that isn't funding anything bad. And that is so hard for people who I think are just trying to claw their way out of the economic class that they happen to be born into. And then it's like so hard for me to see these other people who have no moral qualms about any of it just like thriving. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or, you know, going on and on about Bitcoin all day and trying to excuse the environmental footprint of it. Honestly, I think one of the big messages I want to leave folks with who care about this stuff is that you shouldn't stress too much about how you're investing. You know, mm -hmm. if you know for sure that you are investing in an assault rifle maker mm -hmm. or a tobacco company or a fossil fuel company, that's bad. Don't do that. You're helping to keep their share price high. You don't want to do that. But if you're doing something like buying index funds, you're only buying teeny tiny slices of those bad guy companies. And there are increasingly more options for index funds that exclude those things. So how does someone know when when they've hit like retirement, which I'm not saying retirement as now you play golf forever. I'm talking about in the sense of like work optional retirement. You know, there's a very simplified formula that floats around in fire circles that's like, huh, that's funny, fire circles. Um, I mean, early retirement <laughs> in this case. <laughs> but there's the formula of once your savings and investments equal 25 times your annual expenses, then you are financially independent and you can quit working. Okay. That's fine for a starting point, but I think your listeners know it's not quite that simple. So you need to think about how you're going to earn income throughout all your different life years, and it might change. So you might have to draw on savings and investments before you get to the age when you can easily get at your IRA, your 401k, um, all the Canadian equivalents, you know, all those things. Yeah, there's certain ages you can't – it's like 52 and a half or something. 59 and a half is the main – 59 and a half before you can like pull out your retirement stuff without um, fees or anything like that, which I always am like – 59 and a half. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there are ways to get the money out sooner without penalty, but you have to jump through some pretty big hoops. So I think it's helpful to think about 60, you know, under 60, over 60. Those are sort of the two uh -huh. points in your life. Uh -huh. But it's also thinking about how you're going to get health care throughout all of that. A lot of folks, I will say folks, when I really mean um, fire bros, <laughs> will tend to say, ah, I'll self-insure. I'll just pay cash if I need to go to the doctor. Well, we just had a medical emergency this summer, and we're currently sitting on like $500,000 of hospital bills. And thank God we have insurance because we are not going to pay that yeah. much. But if we were trying to self-insure, that would wipe us out. You know, it would dramatically change what we can do in our lives. So it's thinking about how you're going to get health insurance and making sure you're honest about how much it's going to cost because we all know it is freaking expensive. And then it's thinking about emergencies. If you own a home and it's in an area that could potentially flood, which is a huge percent of the population, or it could burn down in a wildfire or get smashed by a tornado, any of these things, homeowners insurance policies are becoming harder and harder to get and keep in high-risk areas. The federal flood insurance could go away. I mean, there are all these things that could happen. And so you need to consider the possibility that you might lose all your equity in your home and not be able to recover that. Because if you get dropped by insurance and then your house burns down, you get nothing. Mm -hmm. Or, you, you know, mm -hmm. living in the West Coast, like you're 
in an earthquake, your house is gone. You get nothing. I just got I just got earthquake insurance. I was Good. like, mm. a lot of people skip that. Don't do that. <laughs> no, I live in California. I was like, I better get I better get that right away. Good. Good move. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you more about you and your books? My blog is OurNextLife.com. I post there maybe four or five times a year, so not super often, but I have all the information about books, podcasts, and everything there. I'm also on social, primarily Twitter and Instagram, at Our underscore Next Life, or you can just search my name and you'll find me that way. Now I'm going to speak to Michelle Jackson, author of a very interesting Business Insider article I found called, I used to think early retirement was the only way to live my ideal life, but I found a better approach. Or alternately, the article was also called, Why I Ditched the Traditional Fire Movement. This was a fascinating interview with someone deep into a community that isn't made for her. And also, Michelle and I had a great time. So hi, my name is Michelle Jackson. I am a podcaster and blogger. I am not a financial expert. I read an article that you wrote for Business Insider called, I used to think early retirement was the only way to live my ideal life, but I found a better approach. Mm -hmm. What is FIRE? So FIRE actually is a legitimate thing. Of course. So FIRE is financial independence, retire early. Basically, for the listeners who are like, what's FIRE? It's All of those articles that are like, I was 32 and I retired with $2 million or, you know, like uh, this accelerated path to retirement. I have several friends who've fired, if you will. There are some issues with fire that I feel we really don't have enough conversation around. Ironically, at the time that we're recording this, I just came back from a lovely and wonderful Uh, event called Campfire, which is for people interested in the fire space. And I gave a talk called Tomorrow Isn't Promised. (laughs) Mm. And the context of this talk is that slow fire instead of regular fire is actually the more ideal approach. It's more accessible to more people. And I need to kind of roll back and talk about fire a little more. So the idea, again, is you're accelerating your retirement. But there are a couple issues with accelerated retirement that have nothing to do with the dollars on, on the surface. One, it's, it seems like a lot of people are making some assumptions subconsciously about what's going to happen between when they start like really aggressively working towards their end goal mm-hmm. and when they actually arrive at the end, right? So mm-hmm. say, for example... Gabby, can I ask how old you are? Is is that a, <laughs> is this a known thing or not? Yeah, I'm 33. I, I talk about it. Okay, so you're 33 and you're like, I'm gonna I'm gonna fire in like seven years. We're gonna keep it simple. So I'm gonna fire by the age of 40. It's gonna be great. And I'm like, that's awesome. But then I I wonder who's in your life that might impact your money? A partner, a spouse. Maybe something happens with your family and you become the financial caregiver. Mm-hmm. There are just a lot of scenarios that I think fire people don't have candid conversations around. Mm-hmm. And that will really derail their R in fire. The other thing is there's a lot of things that are really out of our control. And I think that for a lot of fire folks, they're trying to control for everything but it's really clear that they haven't thought of everything. So the whole thing is you want to retire early, 
and you don't do anything for the amount of time until you reach that money goal, right? You like are super frugal. You you like to an, a, an extreme degree. It depends on the person, but I think I think a better way to say it is there are a large number of people they may not necessarily be uber frugal, mm. but they're really focused on that accelerated um, investing in savings and income growth, hopefully income growth in order to hit that number. But there's a lot of different types of fire. I do want to point that out. And so that's why I talk about my approach to fire, which is slow fire, which is an acknowledgement that one, I'm probably going to have to earn a lot more money Mm -hmm. than what a lot of other people are thinking about with their fire. And partly because I'm also thinking about my mother's retirement. Mm -hmm. This is not unusual, again, for people of color in the fire space. I Again, I just was at this event. There were actually a lot of Asian American attendees. And they all, like, many of them were like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like, parents are at the house already, like, the in-laws. Yeah. And mm -hmm. this is just a Very thing. common. It's very common. And so yeah. they are taking into account their parents. And so for me to, to do that is not necessarily an unusual thing, actually, as an African-American, but it does really significantly change like the pace that I want to use, just how I want to live my life. I already mm -hmm. was frugal for years paying off 60 grand, right? Yeah. And that was hard. I'm not naturally frugal. So I want to fire, but why don't I slow fire, which is designing my best life now, but keep earning the money on the back end doing something I really enjoy, which is fine. I'm mm -hmm. fine with work. Like that, that's totally fine. So you go to Camp Fire. What is the, the racial and, and economic breakdown of these people? So I love that you asked this question because inherently that's one of the issues with the fire space, which is right. quite frankly, you can't even begin thinking about fire, like the mechanics of fire, unless you have a solid financial foundation, right? In this event specifically, at the, the specific one that I attended, I want to be very clear. I actually think this was the most diverse fire event I've ever been to, which is saying oh. so I've been to several. There were quite a few Asian attendees. There were three of us African-Americans, which was more than I'd ever seen. A whole Even three. <laughs> all three. There's only 65 people attending. Okay. But the, the thing that was interesting is that for the first time, I really felt that there was a, a, a variety of life experiences that were really well represented in an event like that. So I have to say the Camp Fi San Diego event that I specifically attended, I really enjoyed it for that. That said, in many of the events that I've attended, the issue is that uh, the people are high, high earners, which is fine, or have a really, really solid foundation so that you can start either an entrepreneurial journey that allows you to earn more or you're comfortable enough because you've got like money in the background that you can negotiate your 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 wages. Mm -hmm. And and if someone's like, you know what, that's not going to work for me. You've got enough runway to go look for a different career or job. And I think those are the things that, again, I get a little frustrated with in the conversation around fire is for women. We definitely, uh, whether we're black, white or whatever, but in particular, women of color, we don't earn as much per dollar. Mm -hmm. So in order to, to have the uh, confidence to, to, to negotiate, we have to be at a certain point to even take that risk of, well, these people might push back at, at me asking for more. Mm -hmm. What's that look like? 
Mm-hmm. You know, and so again, fire, the numbers work, but the conversation around it is not as robust as I think it needs to be. How much of it has to do with passive income, right? Because these people, you reach a certain number, that mm-hmm. number is for you. Retire, we use that sort of in our zeitgeist, it's like, I'm going to go play golf every day and that's mm-hmm. retiring. But for a lot of people, it just means that you take work only when you want to, or Mm -hmm. it's like you don't have to work in order to keep the lights on and stuff. Mm -hmm. How much of it is like building passive income or getting to a place where you've like built a lot of passive income? So I think the goal is definitely to build passive income for the majority of the people, because the idea is you can just do what you want once you hit whatever is your fire number. How do you start with fire? Let's say you want to like start. So I think one of the, the under discussed things is your foundation. You absolutely, in my view, cannot aggressively work towards fire. If you have an excessive amount of debt, Mm -hmm. that's the first problem. If you have debt, like there's like the way that I did, there was no way that I could even begin to invest at the accelerated rate because all of my money, especially as an entrepreneur, was going to pay off that debt. Mm-hmm. It's just real talk. That's the stop for a lot of people. Yeah, it's, it's just candid. And so I think the other thing is, ideally, you are earning a high income. That is Another specific one, yeah. to you. Like that, what you consider a high income may really depend on where you live. And then really clarity on what's important to you in terms of your expenses. So I live close enough to downtown Denver that I actually walked to downtown today. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a short walk necessarily, but it is close. So by light rail, I'd say it's a 12 minute ride. So I live pretty close to downtown. I like to ride my bike. I like to walk. I decided that a car was not necessarily an expense that I needed. Right. Most Americans will spend about eight to $9,000 a year on car expenses, you can double check with AAA because they have the yeah. exact number on that. You can double check with my life. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't have a car, but you know what I do is I use a car share. The other thing is your housing. So I own my home, but I bought an awkward property. Like, no, no lie. I did. What do you mean? I bought a really small space. And when I bought it, it was four, it's 495 square feet. Oh, cool. It's in a really, really, really good neighborhood in Denver. Really good. Mm. But when I was looking to buy it, my friends at that time were like, we don't live in New York City. It's so small. It's like a bomb shelter. I'll never forget this. Yeah. I'll never forget yeah, it. Yeah, I lived in places like that in LA. Very small. And I was like, I'm not that big. <laughs> like I'm five foot four. How much how much space do I need? I don't even have a pet. Yeah. I like what do I need? Right. And I'm like, I get that you guys want more space, but for me, this is enough. Like I was happy with enough. Mm-hmm. I should mention one other thing. I didn't say how much I pay in my mortgage. <laughs> oh yeah. What do you pay for your mortgage? I pay $540 a month. So Yeah. Wow. So fire is basically very personal and people act like it's one size fits all. So that seems to be the the main problem. That is definitely a huge problem. It's not one size fits all. Everyone who's doing it, they bring their life with them during Mm -hmm. the process. Thank you so much, Michelle. Where can my audience find more about you and follow you? So just go to michelleismoneyhungry.com. 
Um, you can find my show, what I'm up to there. If you're ever in Colorado, check out my website, squarestateco.com. So Square State Colorado, that is actually a new project that I'm finally, I finally have the time to really grow. So if you're like geeked out about that state, I've got equitable and fair content on there about the state, a little more candid than what you see elsewhere. (laughs) Is sacrificing for years and years worth becoming your version of quote unquote financially independent or quote unquote retired? It's a really personal question and retirement means something different for everybody. I'm not a fire expert, nor am I a member of the movement, so if you have strong thoughts on fire, send them into the show and I'll read them on our upcoming mailbag episode. You can call in at 844-474-4040, or you can email us at gabbyisbadwithmoney at gmail.com. You can also send a voice memo to that email. I want more opinions and information on whether this method and movement works, and if it does, who does it work for? <laughs>